Uh, for everyone that's joined for the first time, my name is Ellen Dover. I've been kind of coordinating these uh, conversation sessions over the last six months. Um, just wanted to thank everyone who, again, is, uh, has attended at least one of these. Um, they've been a lot of fun. We've kind of, uh, you know, really gone into the past, kind of took a walk down memory lane with Mitch at the very beginning. Um, we talked about the rise of women in industry. Um, we hashed it out with some major doers in the firm. Um, we gained key perspectives for the future of our EDI initiatives. And then um, a couple of weeks ago, went super futuristic on life and architecture um, with some of our emerging designers. So it's been a real treat. Um, and thank you again, just to anyone who has made it. Um, today, we're excited to kind of do a deep dive with MJ and a group of our market leaders, just defining the next few years as well as the next 50. Um, so without further ado, I'll hand it over to them, but did want to mention that if you missed one of these sessions that I mentioned um, and are interested in kind of going back and re-listening, we'll uh, be distributing um, our podcast link next week so you can go through and um, kind of refresh your memory or, or listen to something that you might have missed over the last uh, few months. So everyone remember to turn your cameras off, mute yourself, um, and please, if you have any questions, drop them in the chat um, and we will try to get to those at the end. Thanks so much, I'll pass it over. Definitely. Hi everyone, thank you, Ellen. It's great to be here and um, I am MJ Munsell. I'm the Chief Creative Officer. For those of you um, that I've not met, I'll explain a little bit about my role and what I do at MG2. So I am definitely not the most creative person at MG2, but I work with the design leaders across all platforms and all across all markets and supporting them as leaders, creating a design agenda for the firm and um, helping us all achieve our goals as design leaders and elevating design across all markets. So I'm really honored to have that position in the firm and, and work with all of you. So today um, we are going to be speaking with design leaders from all of our markets. We have Brian Benar from Client Programs, Shannon Seuss from Community Environments, Joel Yu Oh from um, Community Environments, Peter Stalker from uh, consumer experiences and Melissa Gonzalez from uh, consumer experiences and TLG. So um, I don't know if you have met or had the pleasure to work with these leaders. So I thought we'd start off with talking a little bit about having each one of them talk a little bit about themselves. Um, I think it's interesting that in the firm, we have uh, leaders that come from very diverse backgrounds that um, have different areas of expertise not only in um, the types of projects that they work, but also in the in the backgrounds um, from where you've each come in your careers, where you were, how your educational background, and um, and then of course the clients and markets that you work with. So um, I'd like to ask you guys to talk a little bit about yourselves um, at a high level. Tell talk to me and and the um, audience about your role, your area of expertise. So let's start with Brian. We can't hear you. I said alphabetical order, I guess, today. Um, <laughs> I don't know, you're left in the, on my screen, so. Uh, so, yeah, so I'm Brian Bonar. I'm a principal uh, practice and design lead here at MG2. Um, actually was thinking about that this morning because I think this week uh, or 
last week. It, uh, I, it's turned over my 23rd year here at MG2. A um, uh, little bit of back history. I um, grew up here. I grew up on Woodby Island, uh, K through 12. Um, moved to Virginia a week after high school graduation. Uh, ended up going to Virginia Tech. Um, met my wife there. Got married in Georgia and moved back uh, by way of Dallas. So I started my career in Dallas um, on a job lead from a, a professor of mine and uh, worked for a couple different uh, groups down there. Um, but, you know, it was an important um, foundational time doing a lot of different work from airport to work to loft apartments to uh, schools. Uh, Texas is big on schools, did a lot of multifamily housing. Um, so, you know, really had a diverse um, experience uh, before trying to find my way back here because this is where all of my family is. Um, so I dragged my wife here. She had only ever visited here in August and when it was sunny and we arrived in November and it started raining and I don't think we saw the sun for three months. So um, that was uh, interesting uh, <laughs> starting out, but Came here as a PM, project manager, and have had the opportunity to work on a lot of different exciting work um, and looking forward to the trajectory that we're on as a firm looking forward. Uh, I don't think I'll be here in the time of our next 50 years comes up, but um, <laughs> at least I hope not. <laughs> but, 2071. Uh, <laughs> hoping to uh, work with everyone here and uh, with uh, that's here now and that will be here in the future to make sure that we're on a on a, on a really strong trajectory. Thanks. Great. Thanks, Brian. Joe Yol, you're next on my screen. All right. Um, <laughs> I'm Joe Yol, uh, and um, I joined the firm just a couple of years ago, 2019. Uh, I left the New York, uh, you know, about 20 years of uh, professional life there uh, before I came here. Uh, at, in New York, um, 13 years or so was with a firm called Architectonica and had done a lot of projects, uh, you know, in over the, all over the US and internationally. Um, you know, so kind of going back, uh, you know, where I came from, I came from Korea, I landed in Portland, Oregon, um, went to high school there. And then, you know, I somehow I ended up and, you know, found my way to upstate New York, uh, going to Colgate University. and. And I actually didn't have a, a architecture degree as undergrad. It was a bachelor of arts degree as of chemistry and art. Um, and then, you know, I was doing a, some lab work and some drawing at the same time um, and and found out that, okay, maybe how do I combine the art and, you know, some um, more scientific thinking together? So architecture was one of them. And, you know, I, I um, uh, visited some architecture firms around in, in Portland area too and talking to some of the you know owners of the firms too and then decided to go to um, architecture school as a graduate school so I ended up going to MIT for uh, graduate school and then ever since then I kind of stayed there uh, in the east coast uh, before I came here um, so uh, my role wise uh, I'm I'm principal and, and CE, uh, leading the multifamily uh, market mid-rise, high-rise uh, practice with the Ben Gist, and you know more specifically, my area of expertise is um, high-rise mixed use with the residential, office, hotel, and retail components all together, and uh, you know one of the notable um, 
the project that I left uh, when I left Arctectonica two years ago was um, that I was in charge of working on uh, one of the Hudson Yards projects with the related companies. It was about two million square feet of office um, that is going to come in the coming years. Very exciting. I know you guys are working on a, a very exciting proposal and interview next week. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. Thanks, Gio. Shannon, next we have Shannon Seuss. Hi, everybody. Morning. Um, Shannon Seuss, I am in the CE market. I do hospitality and interiors, which will kind of make sense when you hear about my background. Um, I am from California originally, um, moved up to Washington, made a little six-year stint in Hawaii and came back to Washington based on who I used to work for. Um, but I, I predominantly, I started off actually in interiors and had a great dean of um, my school who actually came from Cal Poly Pomona who twisted it and started doing architectural projects and having us do a lot of architecture coursework. And next thing I knew I was on path for architecture. So, which has been really good. I like the fact that it blends both interior and exterior in, in the markets. Um, I started off um, at a very um, high-end um, retail mall developer at Journey Partnership way back in the day. Um, I have plus 25 years of experience that started off in retail and moved to um, housing, um, retail mixed use kinds of environments. And then I've ended up with most of majority of time has been in hospitality. So I originally came up to Seattle from a firm called WATG, which is a really awesome time in Goo, very well known internationally for hotels. Um, spent about 15 years there and um, worked on projects all over the world. Um, geez, China, Korea, Bali, Japan, Singapore, Tanzania, um, the Middle East. I've luckily gotten to visit all these places. Um, I find great uh, design in, uh, you know, taking authentic design from where you like the project. So I always try and incorporate something about where the project's from. We do a lot of storytelling and really um, somebody taught me way back when that a hospitality project, you know, you have 60 seconds from the second somebody gets out of their car to make a first impression or wow them. So that's usually starts your storytelling. You know, what are you trying to get to when you get there? What makes a place special? Why would somebody come back to that place? Or if they're never gonna get to come back to that place, what makes it um, unique? Or do they learn something from it? So I think my um, background has kind of led me um, down this hospitality and I'm actually running the interiors and hospitality for our CE group right now. Um, they cross over really brilliantly and I work a lot with Julio and honestly, I work with all the groups. Um, been doing stuff for with Brian, we did the office building, um, work with CX on a bunch, bunch of projects, CP on office work. So we do some workplace um, projects, but you know, this has been a really good spot for me to land. Um, I've been here five years this month, which is pretty cool. Um, really started to see some transitions of, you know, where things are going, where we can get to um, great strides in hospitality. You know, last, last year with the pandemic, we got hit really hard and hospitality kind of went into a just giant stop mode, which uh, was actually okay because we've been able to pivot, shift, and 
really increase our um, representation in interior design. And, you know, we did a great year this year with getting published and uh, we just won the NAOP award for um, Night of the Stars for our renovation work at the Fairmont. So if you haven't been up there, I highly encourage it. Um, it's very exciting. So more of that to come. That's my plan. Great. Thanks, Shannon. How about Melissa? Hey, hi, everybody. Um, I So my uh, background before joining MG2 is I was the founder of the Lioness Group. And before that, I actually worked on Wall Street um, in institutional equity sales. So I worked on a, on a trading desk. And um, some areas of high interest for me consistently uh, when I was pitching and stock ideas was in the retail sector. Um, and so I think I was, I've been able to carry some of that thought process through in our projects. While I was working on Wall Street, I was also producing independent films and hosting a show called Latin Beat on BT Jazz um, as a VJ. So it was an interesting meld of things. Um, and so when I left Wall Street, um, just to pursue creative, more creative path. I really didn't know what that was going to be, um, but I had a serendipitous opportunity where a family who owned real estate in Midtown Manhattan said, hey, we have an empty space. Do you want to partner and do something creative? So it was just kind of opportune timing where I said, I'm going to give myself six months to say yes to things and see what happens. Um, started with first uh, six months of pop-ups with brands. They paid me in clothes in the beginning because we had no idea what was going to work or not. Um, but it was really um, an opportunity where I felt really impassioned by the opportunity of taking my business background, but also helping them think through how do they tell their story in physical space. And so it became successful quickly by the end of that year. So our first pop-up was in September. By January, we were charging. Um, and there was a waiting list of brands who wanted to be in this space. And so um, that was validation for me to make a business out of it and then just be on the journey as retail continues to evolve. Um, back then, Shopify was barely a thing. And um, at, at first, I thought our trajectory was going to become to build a digital marketplace for brands who did temporary stores, and then you can continue to follow that brand online. Um, but then I saw the complexity of e-commerce and the competitive nature of that. Most of those businesses don't make money. So converted back to focusing on physical retail. And then we really saw a growth and trajectory of fast growing digital native brands that were proving concepts, scaling quickly. And as they were raising their next rounds of funding, it was to go into physical space. So um, that was the business pivot back into really focusing on physical retail and helping those brands whose core competencies was the storytelling in a digital world to then help them translate that into 3D manifestation into a physical world, how they can build human connection and physical space to continue to grow relationships and lifetime value and um, understand the attribution of physical. So that's kind of been the path. And then um, at Shop Talk at 2019, um, I was sitting with a VC who said, hey, you got to talk to MG2. And um, I thought it was going to just be, let's partner on a project. And that conversation quickly moved into, let's merge. And let's, let's, um, let's explore the conversation of potentially um, doing a merger and acquisition. And so that's how I got here today. 
Thanks, Mel. Um, Melissa and TLG and GEO are all very involved in um, building our New York practice, which our offices yeah. just office just opened in September. So we're really excited to see the future there. Um, yes. Peter Stalker in town from Santa Fe is here. Tell us about your career path. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely kind of taken lefts and rights and hasn't been um, a straight line uh, career for me. Been at it for about 30 years now and started um, coming out of college with a television film production degree, um, which I took <clears throat> took to Chicago and did for a little bit and circumstances changed and found myself um, working for Marshall Fields while there was a, a writer's strike on and um, that kind of morphed a few few years later into working for a French um, designer brand that did denim, Maritain, Francois Gerbeau, and that was really interesting. And I met my wife there, and um, they were part of VF at the time, but then um, Francois took the license back, so we were out of work and um, had friends in Seattle, came to Seattle, um, I want to say around 91, um, started working for a small design firm up on Capitol Hill um, with lots of apparel marketing as their client base. Um, it's kind of what they loved and what they pursued. Um, really kind of broadened out my um, design skill set at that firm. Um, was there for about 10 years. Uh, unfortunately, the, the culture there kind of for different reasons um, you know, kind of unraveled a bit. So at that point in my career, thought, you know what, if I'm ever going to have my own business, I'm going to, I'm going to do it now. Um, so I hung a shingle. I had a company called Story. And um, Story is where I really um, kind of dug into this idea of doing brand design and development. So taking people's raw business ideas and turning them into real brands with real names and logos and spaces and um you know so a lot of that time period in my career was kind of um bootstrapping and and learning how to use tools and um a lot of self-taught activity just to kind of keep you know food on the table but um had a pretty good run with story did a lot of work with amazon and at the time amazon was um really only thinking about the digital space. Um, they really didn't have any assets in-house when it was time to um, invite real people into real Amazon spaces. So I spent a lot of time with um, 20 different divisions of the company dealing with people. And a lot of it was kind of recruiting based. So they were in hot competition with Microsoft and Google and Expedia and all these other people that were kind of vying for the same coder audience. So we would develop a lot of physical spaces to an amenity type spaces to attract them and um, kind of create a better competitive um, model for Amazon to attract this talent and kind of win that win that battle for the, the good coders. Um, from story, I kind of tested the waters. I, it was a point in my, my life where, you know, the kids were growing up a little bit and needed some more stability and was kind of tired of doing uh, business development on my own. I wasn't very good at it. 
wasn't very good at fiing projects. Um, so I'm like, you know what, maybe it's time to start thinking about working for another firm. And um, MJ had just moved over from Callison um, a few months earlier and um, Carolyn had also moved over and um, we talked and it kind of, you know, it seemed like it made sense even though we weren't exactly sure how it was all gonna go. Um, but they had confidence in me and um, and everybody else and Mitch and Russ. And um, so we, we decided that, yeah, you know, there was room at MG2 to add brand development and add brand, brand design to um, the CX pro product. Um, and I've been at that now for about seven years. Um, we took it upon ourselves a few years ago to try to build the food and beverage part of the business. And um, we're really fortunate. We hooked up with SSP. I think that came in through Russ. Um, SSP is a, a food and beverage and entity that runs a lot of these um, airport uh, restaurants that you see. And um, we did a ton of those. And Cheryl and a lot of other people in the firm were participants in growing that. But um, that kind of kickstarted our F&B. And I'd done some prior with Story. Um, but really, you know, kind of that that gave us a foothold in, in that part of the industry. And we've been building off of that ever since. Um, so, Just yeah, you know, clarify, a bunch of different stuff. F&B, food and beverage, for those of you who don't know. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Some people are thrown uh, off by that. Yeah. So anyhow, um, continue to kind of look at brand and brand development across categories. And we're doing everything from dental to ice cream shops with TLG to um, we're looking at a surf RFP um, for mechanical wave. And so it's, yeah, it's a mixed bag for me daily, but that's kind of my role within CX. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, I, I'm just amazed to hear each one of your personal stories and I hope that inspires everyone here to know that, you know, you, your career may take many different, twists and turns and I think it's most important to be open and to to see those possibilities and they can come from the smallest moment in your life and really result in something very you know monumental um, later in your career so thanks you guys for sharing those um, we'll switch now I think to talking about 2022 a little bit and where we see our business going and where you guys are directing um, your work your teams, their clients, what do you see happening? If you could say there's one priority that you have for 2022, one goal that you've outlined, one dream that you have, what would that be in the immediate future that you think you want to um, really focus on in the next coming year? Brian, do you want to start with that? <laughs> yeah, I can. Try and take a swipe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's 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 number one. Um, yeah. Well, we've been on a bit of a journey as as client programs the last few years because, um, as many probably don't know, um, because we've we've infused such a large number of people into the firm the last couple of years, uh, we weren't always client programs. Um, we were we were the we were the Costco market. Um, we took on other work um, sort of opportunistically, uh, you know, um, other than Costco. Um, 
But a couple of years ago, we, we really made a dramatic shift to reset the market so that we weren't just known as, as a, a Costco group. And, um, and with that, <clears throat> it's taken a lot of effort um, to, you know, to grow and to uh, get our arms around how to, how to scale that enterprise and, and to do both and uh, to do, you know, to serve someone as um, aggressive and robust as, as a, a client like, like Costco uh, and all of their endeavors and, um, and to then, you know, establish a, a marketplace presence and voice in some of the other areas of expertise that we, that we have in our group. And um, that, that is something that we're still in the midst of, as, as many may know, and, and certainly the people within this panel know. Um, so it is, it is always robust. There's never just one thing. There's probably a dozen things that we need to, that we need to focus on. But, uh, you know, from a, from a focus in, in 2022, um, we, we, we do have a, a huge challenge in front of us with regards to just succession and leadership, um, both internally and also with our, our number one client who we've been working with for, you know, many, many years, more than three decades. And as they continue to grow, it's, it's a bit like a marriage and a partnership. We, we have to work very hard at that. Um, we have to we have to modernize our area of practice within the firm so that we can deliver at the scale that that they want to deliver with uh, with with speed and efficiency. Those are things that we key in on as as a market. Um, subsequently, as we work with other clients, we're finding that uh, many clients need a lot of what we have to offer as a group. Um, we have areas of expertise um, that is it is appealable to a broad swath of clients, and we are um, we, we've established a really robust uh, business development program. Which uh, again, three years ago, we didn't even talk about business development, and Doug Brookbank's been uh, helping us lead that. And so it's it's really been exciting to see the opportunities that we have coming in because we can see that growth that's in front of us and the opportunity. And, and I think what's been most exciting is just the cross market, the, the, the barriers between our groups within our practice from when I first started have, you know, become, you know, gray dash lines between our group. So, um, so I think that's, uh, someone's got a mute. Hmm. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> I think they needed. Yeah. So I think that's a really exciting opportunity uh, as we, as leaders and groups, get to work across market. We get to bring areas of our expertise, and I think a, a lot of what we do within architecture is 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 coming more to the center line of the road to where uh, we're we're not on opposite sides of the fence. And I think that's what's been really exciting. Um, both for people who have uh, maybe been in architecture and design for a long time, but for those who are just coming in, it's it's really wide open. And I think that you know, as an industry, uh, and specific to within our group, you know, we need to think big. We need to be curious. We need to take control of what our our path is, both individually and as a firm, 
so that we have, you know, so that we have relevance. And I think that that's one thing that inspires me about MG2 is that we're always, we're always trying to sharpen that edge of our conversation. What is our relevance to others? How do we bring that value? How do we partner with people uh, to, to solve problems? And that's, that's, that's what inspires me uh, as a leader. And um, I think that as we look ahead, um, there's, there's, there's really an inspiring horizon of opportunity for, for everybody here. Great. I have a few more questions. I'll ask you a little bit later about some of the innovations that you're doing in CP, which do relate to design and some of the, honestly, some of the most exciting things we're doing in the firm begin in your market. So we'll go back to that, but um, I'm going to hand it over to Julio. 2022. Okay. Um, Primary goal, most biggest aspiration. CE really the, the overarching big goal is really instituting the rigor to our design process. And, you know, I can unfold that in many different ways, but, you know, making sure that we all as a C, as a group, uh, going all the way down to A1, you know, understand that design is iterative process. We, we kind of hear it, but, you know, in practice, how do we implement that? Like, if we don't embrace it and, and control it, we end up with a mediocre project at best. And, you know, what do I mean by that is that, you know, we have to come up with a design concept, you know, ideas, uh, but that requires the attitude of refine, constantly refining and improving it um, instead of just, uh, you know, one day, oh, we came up with a nice idea and good visuals, um, design is done and we can move on. Um, I may be, you know, simplifying a little bit too much, but, you know, instead of that kind of attitude, you know, rationalizing the design is the next step with the key step that it comes as a, as a, you know, design rigor. So want to, you know, put that as a goal, overarching goal. And, you know, some other goals that actually goes with it is also having more of a, a review process, really this, a more systematic design review process that everybody can participate and small group can do and larger group format do. And also out of that, we can actually elevate the design through design consistency and you know quality consistency through know, tracking and, and templates and, and more of in a, a technical and organized, and organized way. And um, last thing, I guess, that is the forming a group that actually can help out in our group and in CE, as well as you know, um, yeah, overall firm can tap into in the long, long future. Yeah. That notion of um, and that theme of design rigor is something that all of the um, the people on the panel, the leaders on the panel, have committed to for 2022 is kind of an overarching theme. It um, it means different things to different markets, but I think the commitment to really taking our design process to the next level and the next next level of discipline and rigor is really important. Excited to to be part of that and help work together toward that goal. Mm -hmm. So, Shannon. Can I tack on to Julia? Because Gio and I work in the same group, so we have a lot of similar goals moving forward, although we kind of, we transition in different ways. Um, but I think one of the things, um, we have a great market that's really transformed in the last couple of years or year. Um, Interiors is only about two years old, so there's a huge growth potential there. I think um, bringing on 
people in and opening up the new New York office. I see a lot of crossovers for where our markets can can meet in the middle. One thing that's coming up so often in a lot of projects that we're doing is, you know, for me, um, hospitality is becoming a known thing in lots of different markets. So I just toured a building in Chicago that was an office building and you would think, oh, it's just an office building, but the whole top floor looked like a five-star resort hotel with the lobby and game room and a dining room and a full-size basketball court. And their whole point was hospitality is being infused into these other kinds of spaces in the interior environment, as well as architecture to create spaces that people want to go to, you know, like, why would you bring somebody, why would you want to go back into an office if it's not collaborative or have an environment that, you know, encourages you to have different places. So that's been a big one for like just the firm in general is pushing that forward, working towards um, being known. Um, I call it bi-coastal, you know, we have Seattle and LA. We also have New York and um, Washington, DC. Infusing some of our talent, like Julio said, and having design help and having us be present in all these locations so that we actually are seen as a national company that has uh, overarching hospitality and interiors um, cross market is uh, definitely something that we've tapped our, got our toes into in the last two years. But I think for 2022, I think we, we just need to really steamroll that over the rest of everything we're doing. Really exciting time for you guys, especially right now with um, people coming out and traveling again and things opening up. Uh, Peter and Melissa, what about uh, uh, what are you guys, uh, what are your goals for CX and TLG in the next year? Melissa, go ahead. <laughs> okay, no, I mean, as a market, yeah, I, I, there's a, as a market, it's definitely in line with what Julia um, Shannon talked about as far as um, kind of rigor and, you know, leaning into our um, opportunities to continue to push design excellence forward. And, you know, I think we um, have the opportunity too with um, bringing together um, the two brands, TLG and MG2 from a design standpoint and CX, um, having um, open dialogues and curiosity with each other of the tools and the processes that have been really successful for us as a brand and those that have been really successful um, in uh, the MG2 brand and really leverage that with each other um, when it comes from kickoff all the way to doors open. So I'm excited about the opportunity there. I know we're working on putting a, like a design retreat together um, so we can have these collaborative conversations as well. Um, from a project standpoint, you know, for me, um, we, we dipped our toes a bit in um, uh, consumer survey and our data initiatives last year and wanting to continue to push that forward with the opportunity of melding um, the insights we get from data and investigation of consumer interest, trends and expectations and how we utilize that to inform design and add those extra layers of surprise and delight um, into the touch points throughout the in-store environment. I'm going to just segue off of that just for a quick question. Do you all see data as um, becoming more um, integral into the process and um, something that your clients are asking for more art and science combined? I mean, I think my quick answer to that would be, you know, it's, it's not just validation, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think like Melissa said, they really, they're looking for help. They're looking, you know, they're, they're trying to understand, um, you know, how to, how to invest with this consumer. And it's not necessarily so easy to just, you know, go to market. And, um, so high risk, low risk, you know, it's much lower risk behavior, um, to put capital and investment in, um, building brick and mortar. If you, if you know that the consumer, you know, wants to go and they want it a certain way. So to me, it's, it's really helping our, our clients, um, behave with lower risk and it's also helping us go to market, you know, with better products that are, that are, you know, more aligned with what consumers want versus what we think they want. Yeah. Great. For the audience that may have not seen the published surveys, I believe they're on MNET and on the website. And I think we've done three, um, uh, most of them, all three of them focused on consumer experiences, but we'll continue that exercise in the upcoming year. Um, we'd love to do some with CE and CP. And um, that's a collaboration that happens between the markets and the marketing team. Some great work that was started this year in that area. Um, so uh, anything you want to talk about for 2022, Peter? Um, really quick, I'll, I'll share a super quick story. There was a guy named Leaf Wrecker and Leaf Wrecker was my boss at Dillard's when I was a young guy. A name? <laughs> and, um, I remember Lee because he basically, you know, I was this like young whippersnapper floor manager guy and I was having a great year and Lee pulls me into his office. Like you didn't have a great year. Like, what do you mean? You know, I'm like, I'm killing it. He's like, no, you're not. He's like, you're winning by default. And I'm like, winning by default? I'm like, what do you mean? I didn't say it like that because I was like really wimpy and scared of this guy. And <laughs> um, But he's like, you know, you didn't orchestrate that win. It just happened to you. And um, it's a story that sticks with me, unfortunately, because um, I really wish I could forget about Leaf Wrecker. Um, but I think, you know, the motivating part of that story is you know, we, we currently, we bank on reputation. We bank on, you know, the work that we did. Um, and I think going into 2022, um, after a really challenging retail year, um, I think we want to be more proactive and we really do want to, um, win by design and intent versus winning by default. Um, not to say that you know, when we go to market, we're not well represented because I think we are. And I think the website as a brand environment has become, you know, much more indicative of our, of our expertise. But I think, you know, what we're exploring in CX design is, you know, how do we, how do we claim our expertise? Um, how do we, you know, really get credit for it and then take what we know and go to market and maybe even find um, you know, that like-minded client that will see us, um, at our full value. So, yeah, you know, for old leaf record, he's probably gone now, but, you know, he's kind of stuck with me and, and, in, you know, in its own way, motivated me to, to be proactive. So. Yeah. Great story and a great name. <laughs> um, okay. So 
that was 2022. We've got a lot in store. I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot more about that in the upcoming year. But let's like push a little farther. We are um, doing this in um, conjunction with our 50th anniversary. We want to be thinking about the past, the present, and the future. So if we push a little bit further into the future, um, wanted to ask you guys in your areas of expertise, what you're seeing and, and what you think the future might be. So I'm going to shift it to Ju Yong. Um, I think it's fascinating. You get to work with um, developing not only iconic structures and the buildings, but also the residences that, that people are living, the workspaces perhaps. I know you consider urban versus suburban, and we are actively involved in both areas, big cities, medium-sized cities. What are you thinking about for residential or high-rise, mid-rise? What's the fabric of the urban? Um, the urban city next generation. What do you? What are your thoughts? And I know it's very broad, but um, what are the some some of the things that you guys have been talking about? And what do you predict in the next five to twenty years happening? So, it, you know, it, it's uh, developers always. You know, it's pretty risky for them because once they decide to purchase the land and develop, it, it's like five to ten year journey anyway for them. So they need to foresee or at least predict, um, you know, entrusting their ability to predict too, right? Um, so we are kind of in that boat thinking together with the developers and, you know, the pandemic is something that everybody kind of reacts to. So what we see as of right now still are things that people are talking about is, for example, that prior to pandemic, my, getting to a micro unit size were more like a trend. Now it is shifted. People, you know, I think forever the how we work will be changed. It is changed now that people are staying home more. Therefore, the larger units definitely are in play and they're renting out, they're being sold at, at you know, at higher prices. So, you know, it, size of the units it actually matters because it really you know going to the dollars and cents for all the developers um and on top of that so you know one example was that we were talking to um one of the consultants market consultants who do, does recent market research and what they were saying was well prior to pandemic uh, we if you're talking about a den right you usually put them in a, at the back side of the uh, unit if you're talking about a multifamily building, as opposed to front end where the windows are. But after the pandemic, everybody's working from home and you need a good lighting, right? Not a dingy, like artificial light. You, you need a good day lighting when you're doing the Zoom calls and whatnot. So the, the need of pushing that then element towards the window, um, the natural light it has become an issue or, or, or you know things to solve for, for developers. Um, so things like that we're dealing with now but you know general trend is definitely health and wellness for for the residents right whether it's, it's a comfort energy you know technology integration and you know uh, passive houses getting gaining more and more traction and any other kind of sustainability but passive house uh, um, is something that um, benefits the the tenants directly by saving the energy bill essentially so it's a direct relationship to to economy also and um you know talking about 
urban and suburban uh, i think it still is i'm still betting on urban i think a lot of developers are but definitely it is a more balanced approach with urban and suburban and you know urban density is there um, some of the obstacles in terms of zoning wise will have to be uh, worked out um, but in suburban areas uh, still i think uh, there's a in terms of the building heights and zoning wise there's a lot of limitations so i think that those are more of a you know political and, and questions that, that needs to be solved in terms of um, uh, big cities and medium-sized cities definitely medium-sized cities has benefited during pandemic by influx of migration people coming with their from home you know to home uh, to where they're from or just going to somewhere that's outside of the city right so big cities so medium-sized city has really benefited and they are going to keep grow uh we keep growing large cities are now going to catch up because just the news that i heard yesterday was that new york city year to year um rental price has jumped 18 percent so that means people are coming back right um may not be the same form as before so it's going to be balanced, but at the same time growing all together. So medium, big size cities, we're talking about urban anyway, right? The cities are going to be growing. So all the cities are benefiting. And I think at the end, the people are going to be still like, um, going to be coming towards more of an urban environment instead of a suburban. What could happen in Seattle? <laughs> <laughs> Hope so too. It's a little slow to, to, for the turnaround. Shannon, uh, crossing over into your area, hospitality and uh, residential, probably have some common themes that you're seeing. Yeah, I, I pretty much second the, the things Gio was mentioning. Um, it was funny because we had also talked to a different uh, developer who said that their units that he described were the workspace. We gave them a little carve out workspace at the back of the building. They said those don't rent. They couldn't get rid of them. So. Here you thought, you know, like we're giving them a workspace and they're like, mm, don't work, you know, for a leasing aspect. But from uh, hospitality, um, you know, when we're going back to like 50 years from now, there's a lot of stuff that's been in uh, in play that we've been hearing about that hasn't quite, you really haven't quite started to see it. I think the future of hotels is no longer a one size fits all. What you see in the marketplace is Marriott has 40 brands. That's them trying to trigger a certain perfect type of person. So when we are doing a project that's for uh, a certain Marriott type, like a W, they have a whole performa of what that type of person that likes to stay at that resort is. Um, and really what they've been doing is they've been doing data and tracking and stuff of who goes to these places, the technology, what's innovative, and how are these spaces becoming flexible and tailored to the to the particular guest um, preferences. And so I have four ideas that came out of um, thinking about where this would could be in 50 years from now. And they have, you know, smart rooms. We've all heard about it. You know, we all have Alexas and everything, but, you know, TVs that talk back to you, touch screens, um, nanotechnology for aromas, um, towels with you know, pollution and nano wiping coatings. I mean, some of these things are just a little wild, but, you know, we we can kind of see where they could kind of go. It's just at some point you're going to see these things actually start to occur. Um, having personalized beds, holographic entertainment. So those are some of the, the smart room things, um, as well as being immersive. 
you know, even though if you go to the city or wherever you're going to, they want to create a way that you can transform your space. Maybe the walls can change colors. Um, maybe there's a theme and you're going for, you know, combat gaming and you want to have a network of communities that are all connected to one hotel. So really connecting uh, in an immersive world. Um, one idea that I thought was really interesting was a little bit kind of um, crowdsource pop-up hotels, which is something I looked at like years ago, could never figure out how to actually do it. But, you know, having people decide where the next place is by voting and then having 3D printers or um, having it be able to be biosolar or feature nanotechnology where it creates that hotel for a certain period of time and then maybe moves on could be an interesting way of getting people to travel to different locations because that hotel won't exist forever. It will go away at some point. Um, and then the third, the fourth one was um, an interesting idea that's come out in recently is, you know, having 3D printers. We all have the 3D printers, we think about it. But the technology in 50 years, you would think, um, potentially we could be not having to take luggage with us, but just printing the items that you need, you know, do you need a pair of shoes? Do you need pharmaceuticals? Do you need a computer? Do you need uh, sunglasses? And instead of having to run out there, this also leans into where, you know, Melissa's doing too, but, you know, can you 3D print objects in the hotel, in your hotel room that you forgot? Um, so that would be amazing. Yeah, I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of stuff that we see and it's just whether or not these things really uh, can get executed. But I mean, 50 years from now, it's gonna be a whole different animal. Um, and right. with all the space travel and rockets that we're setting up, I'm like, I can totally see us designing a hotel in the somewhere in space. <laughs> That's my dream. I want to do one. <laughs> Amazing. Um, Brian, you guys have been um, experimenting with some innovative, I know, building technologies with mass timber. Um, modular modularity at the scale that you're working in. Do you think those will gain traction? I think we'll be able to build a mass timber Home Depot or Costco in the next year or two. Well, <laughs> maybe, maybe not year or two, but I, I think that's definitely on the horizon. I, I will tell you that um, uh, we are so at the at Costco's campus, for example. You know, we are in the midst of in the last year of that project. Um, but with that, they we are already starting to look at, you know, the strategy around the next building. And, you know, I, I would say that I'd really like to see that a mass timber office building that that would be pretty exciting. Um, th that would be a, a huge statement for them. But, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, moving forward i think you know one of our our goals you know needs to be around sustainability and the imprint that we have on because we you know we're designing in in part part of the construction of millions of square feet a year right so with our clients we have a huge opportunity to impact um you know the world and our footprint um you know definitely think that materiality materials are, are going to be an ever increasing um, important aspect of of what it is that we do all, all throughout architecture and design and construction um, you know but within our market and you know the work that we do 
yes, we have some interesting hybrid opportunities that are coming forward, but you know, it's still about constructability. It's about um, it's about economy. It's about leanness, and I think that um, you know, through through a higher degree of of intelligent design, you know, with data, you know, that that's what's really going to drive that 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 edge on the imprint that we have with the clients because we can really iterate and optimize you know solutions and um i think that's that's going to be a big focus for us in the next five years for for people coming to us because they want to scale fast but there's always going to be that that price point to things um and so how do we fold in you know the responsibilities that we have around sustainability uh, a lot of the mark uh, clients that we have, you know, sustainability isn't on, you know, their top priority. But obviously, with the groundswell of um, uh, of support and and focus being put on it, we're we're going to play a huge role in in making a much larger impact. So. Yeah, it's definitely our responsibility as designers to always be. Um, uh, be coming up with tangible ways for our clients to understand that and the importance of it and the economics of it too. So appreciate yeah. that. Okay. We're almost out of time, but, um, I'm going to ask Peter and Melissa, Peter, really quick, any insights for restaurants, food and beverage, wacky ideas you have for the future? Yeah. So I think, um, really quickly on, on food and beverage, we're in, um, we're in a future cycle that's very transactionally focused. So you've got people like Shake Shack um, looking for ways to speed up delivery, speed up the transaction. Um, same thing with Taco Bell, same with, you know, really a lot of the industry is focused on, you know, innovating the transaction. And I think um, our point of view is very different from that. I think that, um, I think the future for food and beverage is tied to lifestyle um, that when I talk with um, future clients and, and even some clients this week that have been in the business for years and years, we talk about program. We talk about um, how do you fill in that experience so that um, people want to come back, that they become loyal to the brand, that um, they're really if you ask the consumer, um, you know, about brick and mortar food and beverage, it's, these are very emotional, you know, issues for them. It's not transactional. It's not how quickly can I get it? And for me, it's a bit offensive to think about food as such a commodity where, you know, the most important part of the experience is, you know, how quickly it happens. Um, so I think, you know, as we talk to, either people that are, are gentrifying their brands or looking to um, kind of fill in their brands. More and more, we're talking about the programming that goes and surrounds the food and, and brand behaviors, not, you know, really not how quickly it can happen. So, um, and for me, that's a much more, um, much more long lasting and, and, um, it's a better foundation to build from than, um, you know, how quickly can you deliver? Yeah. Some amazing oppor design opportunities using technology and then just creating that highly experiential moment for us all. Super excited to see what we do. 
Okay, finally, Melissa, sorry, we're closing in on our time, but being an entrepreneur at heart, do and by nature, do you have anything in, that you're dreaming of doing in the next five to 20 years? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's like, uh, I'm always just trying to understand where we're going as consumers next. So I'm not really sure yet, but I think it's on the opportunities that a lot of us talked about. I think when it comes to retail is the opportunity for technology to kind of be in service of of the store, you know, it informs merchandising, you can order, you can text ahead, you can have things digitally added to your cart, you know, there's autonomous driving that's going to get it, the packages to your house. So to me, it's what does that mean the store becomes? And so I don't know if I fully know the answer to that yet, but it's the um, opportunity, I think, of like what we're seeing with the metaverse and and immersing your senses in a, in a more highly sensorial way in store. Um, and what does that mean for the future of emotional and human connection with brands um, and consumers? To me, that's where I'm trying to figure out, but I don't know if I have fully the answers yet. Yeah. Well, I look forward to working with you all in an upcoming year and years. And I wish we had an hour to spend talking to each one of you because there's so much to talk about. And um, we will be continuing these conversations in the next few months over the next year. If there's anything in particular, anyone, anything that you all in our audience would like to hear about, we'd love to continue these in, in more depth and have, have some um, audience participation. But for today, we're kind of out of time and we invite you all to uh, text, meet, somehow uh, call any one of us and um, continue this on your own. So any final words, guys? Thank you very much. And, no. Okay. Happy Friday, all. Thank you all for joining us. I know how busy everyone is and um, we'll talk soon. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you. Have Have a nice Friday. Friday. Thank you. Thanks, everybody.